0: You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. What will the new year bring for the housing market and for real estate investors? Who will be buying and who will be renting? I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Well Show. In today's episode, we'll look at what's in store for single family rentals and the build to rent market. We'll also take a look at what investors can expect from the economy in the coming year. And we're going to be discussing all this with one of the people I've been following for years, real estate consultant, John Burns. John and his team offer research and market analysis for building industry executives and their investors. They help clients make informed decisions based on home buyer and renter demands. John is the co-founder and CEO of John Burns Real Estate Consulting and co-author of Big Shifts Ahead, Demographic Clarity for Businesses. He has a BA in economics from Stanford University and an MBA from UCLA. And I'm so pleased that he'll be joining us here today on The Real Well Show to share his insights. Great to have you back, John.
1: My pleasure, Kathy. Thanks for having me.
0: It's always so good to have you here. I love your updates. I follow whatever data you've got. I know your book has had a great impact on a a lot of people trying to understand and track demographics. We're moving into 2020. What should home builders be aware of moving forward? Is it, is it still safe to build or should home builders be a little bit more cautious?
1: Well, compared to a year ago, they're a lot happier and more optimistic. The, the fourth quarter of 2018 was miserable. I know uh, three of the large clients of mine did pretty significant layoffs in early 2019 preparing for a downturn and now they're off buying land and hiring again. So it, it's been quite a reversal. I would say that they're cautiously optimistic. And by that, I mean they're optimistic, but nobody's loading up on land. Nobody's doing anything crazy. They're growing their businesses wisely. They're pivoting down to lower price points in a number of ways. Some of them are just putting less spec in the house. Some are doing smaller homes. Others are going two more exits down the freeway. But in general, the industry is pivoting down in price and moving forward.
0: So what happened between the end of 2018 and the middle of 2019 and and to now that would have builders feeling more optimistic?
1: Well, the end of 2018 was a triple whammy. So rates that were rising all year spiked in September all the way to almost 4.9% heading right into the slow season of the year. And then the stock market took a dump too. And so the fourth quarter was miserable. Sales were down about 18% year over year. And the home builders were actually discounting pretty heavily just to be down 18%. It was pretty tough. But as we moved forward this year, rates came down substantially. The economy's actually gotten better. Sales are quite strong right now. During that period, they didn't buy a lot of land. So they're not growing very quickly because there's not a lot of finished lots on the ground for them to buy. So they're growing slowly and, and moving forward optimistically, but not aggressively.
0: Okay. So I, I mean, I think it's safe to say that the real estate market is pretty sensitive to rate hikes <laughs> because that seems to be the main thing that... Well, I, I take that back. If if wages... Yeah, that, no,
1: that, that's exactly right. I'll... I'll- <laughs> Well, that's exactly right. But let me add a little bit of a color to that because at our conference in November, the CEO of Pulte said something that I think that was spot on. Is that really, in his view, people that are gonna become homeowners are going to become homeowners, (laughs) and a spike in mortgage rates may delay their decision. They may have to come to grips with, hey, we're not gonna get that nice new 2,500 square foot home. We're gonna get a 2,200 square foot home instead. So things definitely slow, but it doesn't. most of the builders are pretty confident that over the long term, even if rates rose all the way to 5%, they would do fine. It's just the short term that can be pretty painful.
0: Yeah, and so I guess if wages are increasing at the same rate, then it might be okay, but perhaps that's not what we were seeing. We were seeing rates go up, but maybe not wages as much.
1: Right. Well, we, wages don't grow really quickly, but I, almost all of my clients will tell you that they will take a growing economy and higher interest rates over a shrinking economy and lower interest rates. So hmm. uh, right now they have both low rates and a great economy, so things are fine.
0: So they're confident. Ooh, I like that. Okay. Are you seeing a difference in what they're building? Are they building, are they trying to downsize, lower square footage? more affordable homes, or are they going continuing on the high end? I mean, where's the demand? And I'm sure that varies from market to market.
1: Yeah, but the strategy really is not varying by builder. Almost all of the builders have gone so far as to even come up with a new brand that is their entry-level brand. And even for a Toll Brothers, they have a new entry-level brand for a more affordable luxury home. So they're pivoting down in price. One of my clients, Meredith Homes, is cut the number of floor plans they build from 3,000 down to 700. Everybody's getting more efficient. Mm. Uh, Instead of offering 100 options at the design center, they're doing packages now, kind of like the car companies do, just to get more efficient. And all of this is to get the price down. And they're looking for opportunities where there's more homes per acre. So it would be a smaller house, but the deal still works because there's an extra house on the acre. And some are moving a little bit further out. It's interesting that the two big builders that have moved further out, D.R. Horton and LGI Homes, have really been doing fantastic. The rest of the industry is a little reticent to compete with them in the outlying areas because if there is a recession, those homes tend to be really hard to sell.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I read a report that really high-end homes, like $100 million homes, (laughs) I mean, you know, way up there. Are on the rise and and I don't know if you would even be in that world or notice what's happening there, but are you seeing some more high 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 end luxury builders out there
1: well that that's sort of high end i I spent five weeks in New York in the fall, and so you know there's a lot of stories there because that's where a lot of those homes are. I actually hear that that market is extremely soft mm-hmm. very soft I like, would think so the, yeah. the housing market above ten million there's some pretty heavy discounting going on
0: mm, that makes sense, yeah. All right. Well, as you know, you have been consulting one of the projects that Real Wealth Network investors or equity investors in it. It's called the Murata outside of Tampa, north of Tampa, where there's that crystal lagoon. We got a great deal on the land, oh, 10 years ago, got it for 10 cents on the dollar, but it's taken, oh, it's going to be about 10 years before we're kind of out of it. So it's interesting how large developments it's sort of hard to plan when it takes so long and you really don't know what's gonna happen next decade. So, Are we seeing builders taking on huge projects like that when that's 4,200 lots? Or are they going with smaller subdivisions that they can get in and out of faster?
1: Smaller subdivisions. Yeah. And uh, you know, we're, we're 10 years into an economic expansion, seven, eight years into a, a strong housing market. Really for the last three years, long-term investments in land like you're talking about have been almost non-existent in terms of buying raw land and, and getting a built. There's been a, a few exceptions, a, a couple of companies with really strong balance sheets, like Minto and the um, Latitude Margaritaville deal with, with Jimmy Buffett, and that's just been a wild success. But they didn't, you know, they didn't pay a lot for the land either. And the price points that they're offering are two hundred and forty thousand dollars for an amazing retirement home. So they they felt pretty confident doing that. But generally, one of the reasons we don't think construction is going to grow really quickly is exactly what you're alluding to, is there's not a lot of money being invested in long-term land development right now. And I'll just add, my clients who got in at the right time and made some great investments in long-term land have only done okay. And so that's part of this is like, shoot, if I timed it right and... I've only done okay because the cost increases on land development, I believe, have been worse than the cost increases on on home building. And a lot of that is at the city level, who's just layering one more regulation in on, on top of another. It's just making that a um, less desirable thing to do. In fact, I, I, I will add, at our conferences every year, we ask what's the best risk-adjusted return and the worst risk-adjusted return and land development has come back as the worst risk adjusted return i think at the last last six conferences that we have asked that question
0: yeah one of the things that we're doing because real wealth is partnering with developers and we are equity investors in building homes but what we're not taking on any commercial debt at all we're just raising enough money to buy the land the land has to be already entitled and then we just raise enough money again to buy the land and build the first phase sell that first phase to fund the next phase because we just don't want to have any debt if things slow down. I mean, are you seeing that kind of thing out there?
1: Well, let me differentiate between the publicly traded builders and the private builders. So the publicly traded builders have had the opportunity to go to the bond market and get long-term debt. MDC Holdings, Richmond American, got a 30-year bond. (laughs) So some of them have gotten a fair amount of debt because it doesn't mature for a really long time. And I don't think Wall Street differentiates between the debt on home building and the debt on land development, even though they should. They just give it to the company based on their balance sheet. So I think that the public builders have hit the debt markets pretty hard, but their balance sheets are still in in great shape. This entire cycle, though, the private builders who've relied on bank financing, the banks have been really cautious and conservative. The loan-to-values and loan-to-costs have been pretty low. Because of that, the interest rates have been pretty low. But uh, we're not seeing anybody take on a lot of debt, frankly, because the lenders aren't giving it to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, That being said, there are some hard money lenders and others out there who can seize on that and start making mes debt and other things like that. I'm sure some of the people listening to your podcast actually do that for a living. There is high-yield debt out there, not from traditional financing sources. And there's not a lot of great data on it for that reason. So it's a good question. I don't know the answer to how much high risk debt people are taking on. I don't think it's significant for home building. I hear it's pretty significant for activities like fixing and flipping houses.
0: And apartments seems like a right. A lot of lenders are, are doing pretty high LTV and LTCs on, on apartments. But okay. And now, You've been mostly focused on consulting for home builders, but you're doing something a little different. You're, you're taking some time to understand the rental market. So tell me a little bit more about that and why.
1: Yeah, we're, we're best known for our home builder work, but we actually have a strong apartment practice too. And um, what has happened over the last four years, I'll say, and there's this new type of development or new name called build for rent, purpose-built homes, which basically purpose-built for rent, which fall into two categories. They're either detached homes or they're what we are calling horizontal apartments, which are single-story townhomes, some some two-story townhomes. What changed is when Invitation Homes and American Homes for Rent proved that you can manage a portfolio of rental homes all over the metro area, now people are saying, well, why haven't we been building these with the homes right next to each other? So we're seeing a lot of that. In fact, the capital flooding in for that is so insane that we're already having conversations about it potentially getting overbuilt. In fact, I just had some in journal reporter on that this morning. Wow. But let me give you some perspective on that because I learned a lot from our keynote speaker at our conference, Bruce Flatt, who's the CEO of Brookfield Asset Management. I mean, his view, which is going to make a lot of sense when I say this, is that he raises money from six to seven hundred of the largest institutions in the world—the big pension funds and insurance companies—and they need to get about a seven percent yield. And they've always allocated a pretty significant percentage of their portfolio to bond investments. You just can't get a seven in bonds anymore. So a lot of the money is rotating into alternative investments including real estate. And that would include equity investments in rental communities, which frankly I think they'll go out and, and lever to get the yield. So maybe if something's a four or five cap, you know, if they can borrow 50% of it at a three percent interest rate or something along those lines, they can get their seven percent yield. And so that's the, the fundraising's been pretty easy, I believe, for the private equity to do this. And that's that's what's driving all this activity. Hmm,
0: interesting. And and so you've kind of moved into studying the dynamics of the rental market. That's the first time I've heard that there could be overbuilding and build to rent. And do you think that would affect rents across the board or just in that sort of niche?
1: Well, my, my analogy is it's like luxury apartments and there's always room for one or two luxury apartments in every single area. And so there's plenty of demand for build for rent, these type of communities right now, because there's really never been anything built, product like this built that's new. But in some areas like Phoenix, I think there's 70 communities on the drawing boards. So if we get 70, call it luxury apartment complexes, horizontal apartments built in Phoenix, and five of them are right across the street from each other when a recession hits, that's not going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the conversations people are having. The industry is definitely not overbuilt right now, though.
0: Yeah. Are you seeing more rental demand in the future or more home buying demand or a mix of both?
1: So we're seeing more rental demand. So we, in the book that you mentioned, Big Shifts Ahead, we really dove into the demographics deeply and you have to make a number of assumptions about the economy and other things. But over a 10-year period, we thought we'd see about 12.5 million households formed that's the need for about 14 to 15 million housing units. But we thought um, of that 12 and a half million households, a little more than 7 million will be rental and a little more than 5 million will be owned. So that means home ownership rate should fall. You no, know, that's not some horrendous situation, a falling home ownership rate. If the demand for, for sale goes up by 5 million and the demand for for rent goes up by 7 million, everybody's winning. It's just the rental guys are having more demand.
0: And that is a study from a couple of years ago. Are you seeing it play out that way? Yeah, a few things are
1: different. It is playing out that way. Actually, our chief demographer has gotten under the hood on the home ownership rate data, and it, it really honestly is pretty miserable. We, we think the Census Bureau showed a massive overcorrection and is now fixing it. (laughs) So Mm. some of the headlines lately have been a rising home ownership, but we think they're fixing a mistake (laughs) basically because they had two surveys that weren't agreeing with each other. Uh, But what is playing out more favorably for home ownership is we we didn't think mortgage rates would be this low and we definitely did not think mortgage terms would be this easy. I mean, Dodd-Frank said, You should not make a loan to somebody that's more than 43% of all their debt is more than 43% of their income. But they exempted Fannie, Freddie, and FHA because it was 2010. And Fannie and Freddie are still exempt and still making a lot of those loans right now. So, you know, I just don't see the mortgage industry getting even looser. It's actually looser than we thought it would be or easier to get a
0: mortgage. Huh. Well, if that's the case and interest rates are low, why would we see more rental demand than? homebuyer demand?
1: Well, we're we're seeing it. I mean, the millennial generation, if you will, associates recessions with losing your house. And Mm -hmm. um, I think they all want to become homeowners. Our surveys and other surveys say the same thing. But when push comes to shove, do I have any savings in the bank? And what's this going to feel like if I lose my job? A portion of them are choosing to rent and this is actually a good debate we recently had it at our conference they're choosing to rent they're choosing urban i mean more of them are coming into home ownership but as a as a percentage their parents and grandparents got to 80% home ownership rates we just don't think this generation is going to choose to get there and that's the basic reason why home is going to fall
0: interesting i was wondering how many of those people are going to inherit homes and then suddenly be in a position or inherit just money in general and have that change fairly rapidly with the baby boomers being the wealthiest generation. At least that's what I've heard.
1: Yeah. Well, you got to remember you, people live till their 80s, so you don't make an inheritance until your 50s or 60s. <laughs> <laughs> but the affluent folks are getting help from their parents. But you know, I think that's maybe a third of America. I Certainly not 70% or 80% of retired people are in a position to help their kids and grandkids buy a home. Mm-hmm. That's definitely not the case.
0: Okay. So. In
1: fact, their their biggest fear is running out of money before they die, and they, they may live another 20 years.
0: And there may be no inheritance for many right. people. Right. Okay. Good stuff. All right. So then uh, the big whopping question. <laughs> I heard you say that we've got a, a pretty good economy out there. Do you think that will continue or should we be prepared for a slowdown?
1: I mean, everybody I know is is preparing for a slowdown, not betting on it, but what they're doing is they're keeping their balance sheet conservative, just exactly as you said, not taking on a lot of debt. So yeah. our view is the economy has been growing a little faster than we thought it could because we're running out of people to employ, basically, and, and we're continuing to... Recruit more people back into the labor force, but we're at a near record high participation rate in the labor force. And you know, unless they start opening up the floodgates to immigrants, which I'm not going to bet on that (laughs) anytime Mm -hmm. soon, uh, I don't know how we're going to grow the economy because we just don't have the people. And, And the drag is people entering their retirement years. So we're seeing more and more people, particularly the more affluent ones, retire and you spend less in retirement. So we're viewing continued, slow, modest
0: growth for the
1: foreseeable future.
0: No major crash, but no major growth.
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of risks out there that things that can cause a crash and it's not in housing. And the the level of government debt is unbelievable. I mentioned corporations borrowing. We talked about the home builders borrowing from the um, bond market. We actually did a, a study on this though. They've borrowed the least. Other industries have borrowed like crazy, and all of that is being securitized, just like subprime mortgage debt was securitized. So I'm hearing plenty of stories of really name companies that have too much debt, and um, you know how that ends when their mm-hmm. when their business slows down. Yeah, their ratings will drop and their interest rates will go up, and it'll get ugly. So there, there's lots. I think there's lots of good reasons to be scared, and I think a lot of CEOs are scared. What I'm concerned about, and I mentioned this to you the other day, is that I'm I'm seeing a lot of, call them millennials, if you will, but people that were still in school during the last recession, all bowled up on housing investment as the way to get rich. And we're starting an investor survey. We started a, a single family rental landlord survey a, uh, about a month ago and developed an index on single family rentals. And we're going to do the same thing on investors because I, I really want to monitor investor activity. Because that was one of the problems in the last cycle is we had a lot of non-professionals getting into investment. And I'm starting to get concerned that we're going to see more of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So be cautious. Be cautious. Look at how people were able to ride through the last recession. even And that was a bad one. Uh, there, there were ways to prepare for that. So be cautious out there. And um, John, we really do want to support you on that survey. So I'll let our listeners yeah. know how to do that in the show notes. Okay. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here on The Real Well Show and look forward to having you back in the future. Thanks, Kathy. Take care. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Well Show. If you happen to be in California, in the San Francisco Bay Area on March 14th, or in the LA area on March 15th, come join us for our annual investor panel, where we'll be inviting members to come up and share their insights and their experiences in acquiring single and multifamily properties. They'll talk about what's worked and what would have worked better, what lenders they used, how they did it with a self-directed IRA or a 1031 exchange. So it should be really informative. Plus we'll have property managers from three different markets joining us to talk about what's going on in Cincinnati, Indianapolis, and Jacksonville. So if you've been looking to invest in those areas, you can find out where the best neighborhoods are for strong rental demand, Find out how you can acquire brand new homes or renovated homes, single or multi family, in those areas. You can get the details at realwealthshow.com. Hope to see you there. Bye bye.